Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Welcome to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Joining me here, MLB.com national editor, Matt Myers. Matt, we're going to talk about so much cool stuff today. We're going to talk about um, maybe a guy who's crushing the ball more often than, than Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, believe it or not. And we're also going to talk about a guy who's kind of crushing the ball, and you wouldn't actually think about the fact that he's crushing the ball. We're going to talk about your very favorite new pitcher of the San Diego Padres and think about who that might be until we get there. Uh, we're going to talk about John Lester actually preventing stolen bases, which is mind-blowing to think about. And we're going to induct an entire day of plays into the StatCast Hall of Fame from, uh, you'll just have to wait, but from a particular Seattle Mariners outfielder who just glides to the ball. Uh, I want to start with exit velocity, right? And in the StatCast era, when we talk about exit velocity, usually think Giancarlo Stanton. And this year, you've talked about uh, Aaron Judge kind of as like the contender to the throne. And while those guys are both wonderful, sometimes I think that maybe we're overlooking the guy who's actually the real king of exit velocity here, and that's Miguel Sano. Miguel Sano is just absolutely crushing baseballs, and we've got just a ton of numbers to talk about uh, what damage Miguel Sano is doing. I think this is really interesting. You know, people like to talk about hard hit percentage. And over the years, it's meant a lot of different things. I think it just used to be, what did a ball look like it was hard hit? When we first started, we probably called it 100 miles an hour just because that was a round number that seemed to make sense. And uh, we, with um, you know our colleague Tom Tango, he's done some work, and it seems like the right number here is actually 95 miles an hour. That seems like the real break point for a hard hit ball because you know if you hit it below that, it, it doesn't really matter where you're at. If you hit it 60, if you hit it 75, it's going to change your average. It's not really going to change your, your success rate all that much. Once you get above you know, 90, 95, between there and 110, it matters a lot. And then it sort of flattens out after that. So we're going with 95 miles an hour uh, as our, our hard hit ball. And uh, over the last two seasons, if you hit the ball 95 or above, you have a 541 batting average with a 1074 slugging, really good. 94 below, 218 batting average, 215 slugging. That seems to be like a pretty good rate point, right? And, uh, you know, it's a skill. We've learned this. Like Stanton has a skill. Snow has a skill. Hamilton can't do this. D. Gordon can't do this. It's a skill. We see it correlate very well from year to yeah, year. Yeah, and the other thing that, that's notable when we talk about is that, like, this is why average exit velocity on its own isn't necessarily that telling because basically everything below 95 is the same. Like, we, you know, uh, Tango tweeted out a, uh, a, a graph, a chart showing basically weight on base percentage by exit velocity, and basically everything below 95 miles per hour is basically the same. The weight on base is, like, 300 and slightly below, whereas, like... Um, 
once you get above 95, five, it starts it, to it, shoot up. It rockets up. So that that's like what you're saying. Average, it's like, it's okay. Like Miguel Sano is still the best at average yeah, exit so, velocity. Sano actually lead, is averaging 99 miles per hour and like no one yeah. else is above 95. So the gap between him and number two and average exit velocity is amazing. But that sort of speaks to, you know, the consistency with which he hits the ball hard. And that's why... You're calling him the king of exit Consistency, velocity. I think, is the right word because when we looked at, at Aaron Judge, what he's really doing is he's getting more balls over 110 miles an hour than anybody, more than Stanton and more than Snow, but he's not doing what Snow is doing. Here's what Snow is doing. Uh, if we look at the percentage of batted balls hit 95 miles an hour or harder, right? Percentage of hard hit balls, major league average this year, 33%. So about one third of hit baseballs are hard hit ball, balls. That makes a lot of sense, all right? So the average is 33%. Uh, if I look at our top 10 leaderboard here, most of these guys are, you know, 51%, 52%. We're talking about Judge, uh, Ryan Zimmerman, Cabrera, Joey Gallo. All right, so number two on this list at 58.9% is Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera, we've talked about him before, is an elite, all-time great. He's number two to Miguel Sano, and not by a little bit. <laughs> Miguel Cabrera, number two at 58.9%. Miguel Sano, number one at... 68.3%. He's number one by a full 10 percentage points, and that's where consistency comes in. Yes, Judge is on this list, but he's down at number seven. He does it 51% of the time. We're talking about a lot of really hard-batted balls from Miguel Sano. He does that more than anybody by quite a bit, and here's my favorite part. Last year, he was number six, so he was already doing this really well. His jump from last year to this year is still bigger than anybody. So it's not like he was, you know, not hitting it hard and now he is. He's hitting more hard hit baseballs this year coming from what was already a very high floor. That is so impressive to me. He's 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 a beast. I think that the, the home run derby this year needs to be Snow, Judge and Stanton. It will be the best home run most anticipated home run derby ever. Get Joey Gallo in there. We could really really have a fantastic event this year. And I think Snow, Judge, and Stanton may make it on their own merits. I don't know about Gallo, but the point is for those three guys, you don't need to shoehorn them in to get them into the Derby. They'll almost certainly be there because they're studs. My favorite thing about Snow is that when he was signed as a 16-year-old... Miguel Angel Snow, I remember. He, he was listed as a shortstop. So every, <laughs> take, remember this, this July 2 when, everyone saw, when all the uh, Latin American prospects signed, take their, if they're listed as a shortstop... You may need to take it with a grain of salt because basically everyone gets listed as a shortstop. I will say they put him in right field last year. It didn't go that well. Put him back at third base this year. It's actually gone okay. He's got such a cannon. I know we, we talked about this last year. Um, but what's interesting about Snow, so he's hitting the ball really hard, and we know that. He's got the highest hard hit percentage in baseball, and that's really cool because, as we said, uh, if you hit the ball very hard, it leads to success. But we also learned a lot last year from Ryan Zimmerman. You can hit the ball really, really hard and still not find success because you have to combine launch angle and exit velocity. So last year, Ryan Zimmerman hit the ball very hard, and he hit it into the ground. It didn't go very well for him. This year, he's still hitting the ball hard. He's elevated, and he's off to a fantastic start. So what we're doing, in addition to these hard-hit batted balls, is we're, we're coming up with productive batted balls. So we've talked a couple of times in the show about the six types of batted ball contact. Uh, three are very good for the pitcher, which are just weak contact, you know, pop-ups, or topped into the ground. Three are very good for the hitter, which are barrels, near barrels or solid contact, and then the flares and burners, right? So three kinds of contact good for the pitcher, three kinds of contact good for the hitter. If you combine those three and say, well, how often did you do one of those things? You can come up with a productive batted ball percentage. Now, there's a lot of overlap there with hard hit percentage, but there's not a ton of a complete overlap, like as we just said with Ryan Zimmerman last year, there wouldn't have been. So we can tell you why this is important. If you look at all batted balls, 95 miles an hour or more, these are these hard hit balls that are very good. Uh, if you look at the last two seasons, and if you had a launch angle of zero or more, so basically off the ground, you hit 615 
with a 13, 15 slugging percentage. These are absurd numbers. If you hit the ball 95 miles an hour or more with a negative launch angle, 315, which is an okay batting average, and a 337 slugging. So exit velocity matters, yes. Launch angle also matters. We've been, we've been talking about this forever. So if we look at the highest percentage of productive batted balls this year, Miguel Sano, also number one. So he's not just crushing the ball, but he's crushing the ball at the absolute right angles. Uh, he's doing that 58.7% of the time. And what's interesting is there's some overlap, right? So Ryan Zimmerman's on this top 10 list. Aaron Judge is on this top 10 list. Yonder Alonso is on this top 10 list. He was not on the list of the hardest hit balls, but when he does hit it hard, he hits it hard at the right angles, and he's a guy who's talked about, I'm going to elevate I'm going to succeed. Uh, Matt Kemp is on this list. I, I just think that's really interesting. Miguel Sano, it doesn't even matter that he strikes out 36% of the time. Like, there is a tipping point somewhere, but he's not there yet. He's still, like, sixth and expected weighted on base, and that includes contact. He's, you know, we've been waiting for him to become a superstar. He finished third in the Rookie of the Year voting two years ago after coming up midway through the year. Last year was a little bit of disappointment, kind of playing out of position. This year we're seeing the guy that was anticipated two years ago and a big reason why the Twins are playing well and are, you know, one of the more exciting teams, particularly from a position player standpoint. And don't look now, the last two weeks, Byron Buxton's turned it around. He's looked so much better. He got off to a rough start. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. So we just talked about Snow. He's, he's a monster of men. He's like 6'4", 240. He's exactly the kind of guy that you would go and expect to crush. He has. And the next guy I want to talk about has kind of crushed this year, and he's the exact opposite of that. Uh, and that's Brett Gardner. And we're going to get to him in just one second. But first, I do want to remind you to listen to the Fantasy 401 podcast. That's with our friends Fred Zinke and Matthew Leach. Uh, they cover the bases for you all season, giving you an end of edge over your friends. They will play any format you do. They've been there. They've won that. And they'll help you win, too. Last week, Fred and special guest Al Melchior weighed in on Yonder Alonso's hot start and uh, Jose Bautista's early struggles and a few uncertain closer situations around the league. So before you set your lineup or hit the waiver wire, do follow the Fantasy 411 podcast on iTunes today. Uh, They're very good and very smart, and I strongly encourage you to listen to them. Have you noticed that Brett Gardner is crushing the ball? Brett Gardner is going to be 34 in a couple weeks. Brett Gardner has seven home runs in 145 plate appearances. Last year, he had seven home runs in 634 plate appearances. He has as many homers as Chris Bryant and Buster Posey. He's slugging 504, which is higher than George Springer or Corey Seager. What in the world is going on with Brett Gardner? I mean, it, it seems like he is another, you know, data point in the fly ball revolution, which for, you know, I don't expect him to hit 30 home runs. That said, it does remind me a little bit of when Curtis Granderson went to the Yankees and was like, you know what, I'm just going to sell out and try and pull fly balls. And then suddenly he became a 40 home runner. He already had was kind of a gap-to-gap power guy, but he was not a true home run hitter, but then he just sort of transformed into one. Obviously, Gardner is later in his career. He's played his whole career with the Yankees. It's not exactly the same, but in terms of just, like, a guy not known for his power, but having that kind of lefty swing and, and definitely kind of changing his approach a little bit to sort of take advantage of the right field fence at Yankee Stadium, it's it, uh, it, it's working for Brett Gardner. So I, I just wrote a whole article about this that will be on Yankees.com, and uh, so I am armed with numbers about this, and I find him really fascinating. Because you think about a guy who's hitting for more power, and your first thought is most likely, well, he's hitting the ball harder, right? His exit velocity must be up. Well, Brett Gardner last year, exit velocity, 85.4 miles an hour. Brett Gardner this year, 85.0. So that's actually not up. It's slightly down, and the major league average this year is 86.9. So last year he had below average exit velocity, and this year he has below average exit velocity. So right away you're thinking to yourself, well, that's interesting. How is he hitting the ball harder without actually getting more exit velocity? What's the most fascinating thing to me is that when he gets the ball in the air, which he does more often, which we'll get to in a second, when he gets it in the air, that's when he's hitting it harder. So last year, on all of his batted balls that weren't grounders, non-grounders last year, average exit velocity of 88.3, 
average distance, 259 feet. This year, on non-grounders, average exit velocity, 91.1, better than Mike Trout or Nolan Arenado. Distance up from 259 to 275, better than Victor Martinez, better than Anthony Rizzo. So he's actually, you know, he's not hitting it harder overall. Maybe he's actually hitting it more softly on the ground, but honestly, who cares what happens when you hit it on the ground? When he gets the ball in the air, he's hitting it harder, and he's getting more distance out of it. And that's really kind of like what we're seeing about all these guys is hit the ball hard in the air, hit the ball in the air, hit the ball hard when you can, and pull it if you can, and who cares if you strike out? And I think that's exactly what we're seeing because he is actually getting it in the air. Last year, his ground ball percentage, 52%. This year, his ground ball percentage, 41%. But I found this interesting. His average launch angle is only up by like two degrees, which is not a massive change. But what he's doing is he's getting in his line drive zone between 10 degrees and 30 degrees, up from 25% to 35%. So again, the average here isn't really telling you the story because what's happening outside of like this happy zone may not actually be helping him. But he's getting these really high-value batted balls. When he hits it in that zone, his slugging percentage over the last couple of years, over 1,000. So he's doing this more often. He's hitting it hard in the air in that specific launch angle zone, and he's finding tremendous success for it. I love that. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, with the Yankees' early success, you know, Aaron Judge has obviously been, you know, the biggest reason, gotten the most attention. Then there's been some, hey, oh, Starling Castro is having a great year. And, oh, yeah, no, Aaron Hicks has been this pleasant surprise. But I think that Gardner, up until, like, the last – few days has kind of gone under the radar a little bit and now it's starting people are starting to notice oh wow like this is pretty impressive and also another like you're looking for reasons why the yankees are totally outperforming early season expectations and, and this is one yeah and one of the reasons i like bringing them up is it kind of goes back to what we just talked about with snow the difference between hard hit percentage which is 95 and above and uh, productive percentage which are the three good types of batted ball contact that combine velocity and angle so his hard hit percentage is it's up a little bit from 24 percent to 28 percent that's still like 211th best in baseball he's he's just not a guy who crushes all the time but his productive hit percentage is up a lot from 32% to 40%. That's 93rd. It's better than Stanton. It's better than Evan Longoria. I mean, these are some names. So when he's actually able to hit the ball that hard, he's hitting it at the right angles. That's what's most important. He's not hitting the ball harder. He's hitting the ball harder where it counts. And that's that's the name of the game, it's right? Definitely, it's, it's definitely it's quite an evolution for a guy who used to be known for his uh, stolen bases, now known for his power. But speaking of stolen bases... Uh, yeah, well, we got to move... So what was one of the biggest stories of last year, uh, over the last couple years, I guess, but especially now that we can measure these things, is John Lester, right? John Lester has a well-known inability to throw to first. He just cannot hold runners on. And uh, a big story was, well, you know, David Ross retired, and David Ross is excellent behind the plate. And the thinking was, without David Ross, would he be able to succeed? Who was his personal catcher. Right. And I always thought that was kind of silly because John Lester had, like, a decade of quality performance before he ever got with David Ross, right? Like, it wasn't an issue in Boston with Veritek or whoever his catcher was at the time. I mean, but, And I honestly don't remember. How far back did his throwing to first issue go? I, I remember he had, I, like a, he had, like, a two-year stretch where he didn't throw to first or something. He, yeah, there was years where he did not throw to first. I mean, I think it's been most of his career. I think we maybe only noticed him more recently, but this has been an issue for a long and time. And he also, like, he didn't intentionally – he hadn't had an intentional walk in, like, five years. Right. But this year, he, because of the new rule, he already has, like, three. So the thinking was he loses his personal catcher. He loses David Ross. He is with uh, Wilson Contreras, who, who barely a year into his major league career – you know, how is this going to work where the, where the guys on the base is going to abuse him? And uh, Matt came up with this amazing stat. So far this year, they have caught seven runners stealing. John Lester has against them. And the next, the next best guy, four. And that's Carrasco, Chatwood, Willie Peralta. Seven. That's amazing in, in to case me. You get the, John Lester, as a pitcher, among pitchers, leads the majors and caught stealings against with seven. Granted, runners are six for 13 against them. So they, but they're still below 50% success rate. So teams are hurting their cause by trying to steal against 
John Lester in a major way. So it turns out losing David Ross actually didn't kill him as much because, well, one reason is that Wilson Contreras is actually really good behind the plate. We've, he's got a cannon back there. Uh, his, it's interesting. His pop time didn't really improve on Ross, but it, it didn't need to. It just kind of needed to hold steady. So if you look at uh, last year, David Ross, when uh, when Lester was, was pitching, his pop time was 1.94, you know, two-second base. And I think that that's a little bit above the major league average, which is about 199, you know, two on the dot. Yeah. Wilson Contreras this year, 1.93, is basically identical. So that, that means he didn't really lose anything by going from the veteran to uh, to the rookie. Yeah, and his, his, his release times, or John Lester's release times with a runner on first base are a little faster than they were last year, but not like it's down from 1.2 seconds to 1.15 seconds. So I guess in the world of stealing bases, where every fraction of a second counts, yeah. like... That's something, but it's hard to attribute it's, much. That's half of one-tenths of a second. <laughs> I mean, it's not much. And he, he's holding guys on a little bit better when there's a runner on first base with second only. Um, you know, last year he was allowing a, a secondary lead of just over 15 feet. This year it's 14.7 feet. Like, that, that's something, I guess. So he's maybe doing a little bit of a better job. But I also think Wilson Contreras just has a really good pop time and a, and a strong arm. It's interesting because, like, also, like, it's, it's like, it seems, you know, last year in the postseason became a really big story you know, it was always every time we started, this was a big story, particularly against the Indians. But of course, like teams weren't actually that successful against them in the postseason. Although sometimes when they were, it was crazy they'd have like twenty-five foot secondary leads and you know and steal steal a base with no trouble. It's almost like you have to dare him to throw it first. You have to take such a big lead, you almost have to just like taunt him until he feels like he has to throw it first base. I, I never understood like in the NLCS last year why these guys who were 30 feet off the base didn't just go. Yeah. They should have gone all the time. And the best ex- explanation I heard was that if you if like the one time you're that far off the base and he manages to throw you out, you look like an enormous idiot. And nobody wants to look like that in the playoffs on national TV. I, I don't know if that's the reason. It at least passes the smell test, I guess. But you got to be aggressive in these situations. You have to. Yeah. Well, anyway, I want to. I'll, I'll give the hat tip to uh, Jeff Sullivan of Fangraphs for tweeting out something about this that alerted me to it. But I was I was floored when I saw that. Uh, John Lester is leading the league in, in uh, caught stealings uh, by a pitcher. We're we're going to change gears here, and I, I want to take a deep breath and hand the floor over to, to Matt Myers here. We're going to talk about Luis Perdomo, who is a starting pitcher for the San Diego Padres. If you haven't heard of him, that's okay. Matt's going to tell you everything you want to know about him and more. Matt's been talking about him for like a year. Before we even get into what he's doing this year, tell me how Luis Perdomo, a little-known pitcher for a, a team that's not that successful, kind of got on your radar in the first place. Um in the preseason, it's actually it was it's only started this preseason, uh, if I'm being honest. When um, we were starting to put together these like Statcast note packets, our research crew was putting together Statcast note packets for all 30 clubs. We were trying to do like a little list of hey, here's some Statcast storylines for each club. And I was looking at I was you know looking through all I went through every team. I looked at the Padres, and one thing I saw was that on two seam spin rate, he was like second in the majors last year. You know, minimum like you know 500. Two seam or sinker's thrown. Second highest or second lowest? Second lowest, sorry, second lowest. And, you know, for two seam spin rate, lower spin rate is generally good. It means more, the ball is more likely to dive. You get more downward, downward movement. So immediately, like, I was interested in this guy. I knew nothing about him. I started looking him up and I was like, you know, five ERA last year, kind of what's, what's, what's the story here? And I just sort of like made a mental note, okay, let's, let's see what this guy's about. And then I started following his starts. And he started to have some success, and he hasn't been, you know, his ERA is still like, you know, three five right now. But each start, he seems to be getting a little bit better, a little bit better. 
He leads the league in ground ball rate, uh, 70.5%. Um, he's right up there with, with, with the lowest two-seam spin rate again, just behind Willie Peralta and Kyle Hendricks, just around where da- Dallas Keuchel is, the kind of guy you want to be with in terms of in, in terms of two-seam sticker comparison. Luis Perdomo is Dallas Keuchel. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there's a lot about the profile that, that, that fits, but there's actually another player who I'll, I'll mention later. But then I started doing more research on him, and I just found him completely fascinating. He's a Rule 5 guy. Um, taken from the Cardinals prior to the 2016 season. He had never pitched above a ball. So basically the Padres stashed them, stashed him on their roster all of last season, knowing that he was going to get lit up. lit up. And he did. And he did. <laughs> <laughs> Through June, he had like a 10 ERA. and was you know a mix of starting, long man kind of role. They basically knew they were just trying to, to hold on to him. And about halfway through the year, uh, A.J. Castvell, our Padres reporter, wrote about this. A.J. Preller suggested he throw a two-seamer. He actually, at that time, was only throwing a four-seam fastball. And he added the two-seamer, and basically, as soon as he started throwing it, his ERA went down basically 10 straight starts. Um, and he started to have a little success with the two-seam. And then this offseason, he sort of ch- changed his breaking ball. It's actually, I think it's, it's class up, I think we classified it as a it's curveball, but he calls the slider, I think we're going to change the classification on it, to a slider. And he's been getting swings and misses on the breaking ball. And this is why I think he's really interesting. There's a lot of, a lot of guys who can get ground balls, but you know, if, you all, if all you can do is gr- get ground balls, it's a tightrope. It's, it's hard to have success if you can't miss bats. You know, then you're, you're, in, you're in Mike Pelfrey land. But right now he's, he's got a fantastic two-seamer that gets ground balls, 70%, of, 70% ground ball rate, and he's got a 26% whiff rate on his curve. That's just behind Nate Carnes. Uh, who leads the league, minimum 100 curves thrown, right above Charlie Martin, Cody Allen, Corey Kluber. These are names. Those are names. You want to be with for breaking ball whiff rate. So, so I, I looked up, um, you know, we've, we've been looking a lot at expected weighted on base this year. And what that does is it takes not just average exit velocity, but it also takes launch angle and, and it incorporates uh, swing and miss, right? So it's like, what is a batted ball profile based on how hard you hit it, what direction you hit it, and how often you make contact. So there are 160 starting pitchers this year who have faced at least 50 hitters. Luis Perdomo is 19th of 160. Right now, he is better than Estrada, Lester, Cole, Carrasco, Arietta, Darvish, and Chris Archer. Now, I'm not saying he will be better, but to this point, he's been better. That is unbelievable to me. I mean, you know, it's the league might figure him out. It's still early, but I think just seeing the profile of a guy who gets ground balls and misses bats with a breaking ball like that, it's a pretty unique combination. Not, and then the, the, I was talking to AJ about him, and I was like, you know, he has kind of this low-key Brennan Webb profile. And AJ said, Andy Green, the Padres manager, played with Brennan Webb and has invoked Brennan, Brennan Webb's name many times when talking about Luis Perdomo. And that's what I was like, first of all, I was like, well, now I feel kind of smart. And second of all, I was like, wow, that's pretty high praise. For some of you uh, younger listeners who may not appreciate Brennan Webb, he was a dominant pitcher for a few years, basically as a sinker-slider guy, Won a Cy Young Award. Sadly, this is how old I am. Went to go back and look at Brendan Webb's career. He had only one year of when he was still good that coincided with the pitch FX era or the pitch, tra- you know, pitch pitch FX stackcast tracking era. So 2008 was basically his last good year. Um, but I did a little comparison. Brendan Webb 2008, 65% ground ball rate, 19% K rate. Perdomo right now, 70% ground ball rate, 24% K rate. It's He's he's to me he's a he's a fascinating player and I'm on the bandwagon now so I'm 
I am pot committed on Luis Ortiz. So he's he's basically your version of Seth Lugo this year, right? Because I was all in on Seth Lugo last year, kind of because the data led me there. I saw unbelievable curve spin, and I followed him all year, and he was really interesting. And you saw pretty interesting two seam spin, and he was kind of your guy. And now he's actually turned out to be a guy. Yeah, I've always and I've just always liked uh, single ball pitchers. I think there's just something kind of, you know, uh, mesmerizing about guys who can just force you to hit the ball in the ground over and over again. When you see these guys who are on their game. Um, like Brandon Webb in his prime, it was like you, you did. It was it didn't matter what he did. Guys were just going to hit the ball on the ground. Now I've been I've been kind of teasing Matt all day that I have a Luis Perdomo fun fact. I version of my notes here is slightly different than Matt's because he doesn't have this note in here. Did you know that the Luis Perdomo you've been talking about is not the first Luis Perdomo to pitch in the big leagues? And not only that, he is not the first Luis Perdomo to pitch for the San Diego Padres in 2009 and 2010. A different right-handed sinker ball in Luis Perdomo, who was a Rule Five pick mind you, got into 36 games with a 487 ERA. And I just found that to be unbelievable that that was that. And as recently as last year, he's still pitching a professional baseball. Maybe we can get them both. And there is also a Luis Perdomo who is like a rookie ball outfielder in the Washington system. They're they're everywhere. I I did not know that. One other other interesting Luis Perdomo fact, um, not related to pitching, was that the other day he hit a triple. Um, It was actually kind of a fluke play. He hit one into the left center field gap. Keon Broxton it was a, would have been a five-star play, and Kieran Broxton would have had it, but at the last minute, I think, lost the ball in the lights or something, and it, so he just went right past him to the wall. Luis Perdomo ran a triple. Home to third, 12.2 seconds, which is the third fastest home to third time by a pitcher in the StatCast era. Obviously, there's not a ton of pitcher triples out there, but just to give you some context, Mike Trout has a triple this year where he had to slide into third base. That's how close the play was, 12.2 seconds. And to me, it's just interesting because it speaks to athleticism, and you know, you hear scouts talk about why it's important for a pitcher to be an athlete, ability to repeat pitches, repeat their delivery. And so you see someone, a, a pitcher with that kind of speed, it just adds another element of like, okay, that's another reason this guy, this guy's interesting to me. I think it's, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed the Luis Perdomo power hour, but it's time to move on to the Hall of Fame. He's not going to be in there yet. We are going to, I guess we're not inducting a play into the StatCast Hall of Fame this week so much as we are inducting a day. Right? A series of plays. A on series it. of plays. So on Saturday, uh, uh, the early game in Toronto was the Mariners in Toronto. And I, I was actually watching the first couple innings of this game. And I remember thinking along these lines that, that something was happening here. So Gerard Dyson uh, played for the Royals for a long time and is now a Seattle outfielder. In one day, uh, he made a five-star play. He made two four-star plays. And he also went two for two with two walks. I mean, that is a day, right? And so just to, to explain the five-star and four-star, if you haven't heard it before, uh, for every play, we have a catch probability on it based on how far you have to go, how much time you had to get there, and as of this week, what direction you had to go, which is, which is a nice thing to add. And, uh, you know, we can put a number on it. So if it's a 95% catch probability play, Matt and I could catch it. If it's a 5% catch probability play, it's almost never caught. And then uh, so we have five-star plays are between 1% and 25%. They're the very, very most difficult. Uh, four-star plays are between 26% and 50%. So only three times since the StatCast era began in 2015 has an outfielder made at least two four-star catches and a five-star catch in the same game. Jack Peterson did it in 2015. Lonnie Chisenhall did it in 2015. So, so it hadn't happened in and it more hadn't than happened. a year. It hadn't and, happened to the 2015 season. And Gerard Dyson did it. And here's my favorite part about this. So I, I've got all these catches here. All three of them, he made them look so easy. And so I remember in the first inning, uh, you know, he made a four-star catch, 46% catch probability against Ezekiel Carrera. So he had to go 46 feet. He had 4.4 seconds to do 76, it. 76 feet, uh, 4.4 excuse me. seconds. Uh, and he just made it look so – and I remember watching this play. The announcers didn't even, like, mention it. It was just, oh, you know, easy flat to center field. And I remember thinking to myself, he sure looked like he was hustling there. I wonder if this is going to end up being anything. And it was a four-star play. The second inning, 
basically the exact same thing happens, but this is uh, against Darwin Barney, 18% catch probability. So he had to go a little further, 92 feet. He had 4.76 seconds to do it, and he made it look really easy. But here's the fun thing about this. We introduced sprint speed a few weeks ago, which is feet per second in an outfielder's fastest one-second window. And so the, the top two guys of outfielders last year were Buxton and Hamilton. That kind of passes the smell test for me. And uh, if you're making the catch, the average was 27 feet per second. The, uh, the slowest guys were about 23 feet per second. The really elite guys were like 30 feet per second. This is just on averages, not individual plays. Dyson on that play, 31.4 feet per second. He was flying, and you could see it. It really looked like that, it. I mean, that's basically as fast as a major league outfielder yes. can run. Yes. I mean, once you get above 31, that's, has anyone cracked 32? Uh, maybe on like one individual. I don't think so, but the, it, 31 feet pretty per close. second is about as fast as a major league outfielder can run. Yeah. And then, so that was uh, the first two innings. In the fourth inning, he made another catch, another four-star catch, robbed poor Darwin Barney again. 29% catch probability. He had to go 77 feet in 4.34 seconds. Uh, he made it look really easy again because that's just the kind of thing Gerard Dyson does is make difficult catches look easy. Uh, his sprint speed there is 29.4 feet per second. Remember, the average is 27. So he's really, he's really like everything the Mariners hoped for and more. We looked at uh, 36 outfielders who have had at least 10 chances to make a four- or five-star catch this year. He has made eight in 13 opportunities. That's 62% success rate. That is above Buxton, Odubo Herrera, and Ciarte and Kiermaier. Those names are exactly the names you would expect to be there, and he is the top all of them. Yeah, most, I mean, this far, most, most of the time when you see a five-star catch, it's a guy diving and stretching out as far as he possibly can to make the catch. Dyson made a five-star and two four-stars, all caught like his chest, like just running, gliding, and, and I love that because I, I mean, this is exactly what I just wrote about the other day is comparing uh, diving catches versus guys who got there in, on the exact same kind of catch, distance, direction, everything, and just got there and just made it look easy with like a fraction of the fanfare because they didn't have to lay out. They didn't have to dive. We should reward those catches, too. And that, that's what we're doing here with dry yeah, I'm not sure, in terms, I'm not sure there's an outfielder who is smoother to the ball than Gerard Dice. He, he glides in the outfield. It's like fun to just watch him. You know, track down a ball. There's just like a certain confidence, like he knows exactly where it's going to land. He's just like so he takes these fantastic routes, and like it's just it's like perfect point A to point B. I can't remember another outfielder like who's quite as smooth as him in tracking fly balls. Yeah, and I know it's been a rough season for the Mariners. I, I don't even know who's in their starting rotation right now, but they really put some effort into making that outfield defense better. And Trout Dyson has really, really made it work. He's been a huge improvement, and um, I, I just love seeing him atop this list of names. I might go so far as to say he's one of the five best center fielders in baseball. In, in some order, him, Hamilton Buxton, Kiermaier, and Inciarte, let's say. Um, Throw in Polar if you want, but I, I probably would. would... <coughs> Marisnik. Oh, oh, Jay, oh okay. <laughs> full-time center fielder, so let's say, you know, but um, he's up there, right? Yeah, well, he also, he was, I guess he was playing left field in the season again, but then in uh, They, they cut Martin, Martin, yeah. Uh, so, anyway, I'm a big fan of Gerard Dyson. Welcome to the StatCast Hall of Fame. Uh, we will work on your on your plaque, I guess. I don't know what we do for these guys. We should <laughs> we, think about that. We have, if you're interested, actually, we are, we are keeping a, um, a page uh, on MLB.com where all the StatCast Hall of Fame inductees are there. We'll tweet out a link in case you're interested in seeing all of them. And you could bookmark it and watch them all as they... Uh, as they get at it. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a serious honor. <laughs> uh, that's our show for this week. Uh, StatCast Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Matt Myers over here. Thanks for listening. Catch us next week. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution. 
that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.